Hello, lovers of the planet Earth and the Milky Way galaxy. Today, I have a podcast with Leslie Ann Becker Goodman, Vedic meditation teacher. And um, I did a little retreat at her place in Mullumbimby and recorded this one on my iPhone. So the, uh, the quality isn't going to be as good as normal, but it's still a great little conversation. And I could actually speak to Leslie Ann for hours. And hopefully one day when she's in Melbourne, I'll lure her into the Spiritual Trady podcast studio, i.e. the lounge room, and we'll have a chat about chakras because I'm really interested in sharing some of that goodness. So here we go. Have a quick little listen to this quick chat that we've done. And um, hopefully we can get her back for some more. So, Leslie Ann... Becca Goodman, welcome to my podcast in your house. Hello. Hello, and thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> this is the first podcast I've done outside of Melbourne. Okay. So, yeah, I'll put an outline of why we're doing it in your place because I'm here on retreat in your place. And um, you, what, what is it you're, that you do? Um, okay, yeah. all right, a bit of a nutshell. I'll try to keep it in a nutshell. Basically, I'm a Vedic meditation teacher, Mm -hmm. and I'm also um, a former psychotherapist, but I do a lot of mentoring for uh, people that have learned the skill of Vedic meditation. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of mentoring. So I teach, I mentor, I'm a Reiki practitioner and a chakra healer, so Mm -hmm. I do hands-on healing as well. A lot of my mentoring is over Skype, all over Australia, and I have a few clients overseas as well mm-hmm. but the criteria is they've got to be Vedic meditators. So how long did you do psychotherapy before you uh, took up Vedic meditation? Teaching? Okay I uh, was a psychotherapist for 20 years yeah. in my own private practice um, and prior to that would you believe I was a lawyer <laughs> so yeah. big shift. Then I decided as a third career but for necessity out of seeing a need to become a Vedic meditation teacher. Let's go back then to the lawyer business. How long were you a lawyer for? Well, um, if you count the time where I was an article clerk, I went straight from school and then uni at night, Mm -hmm. probably close to another 20 years as a lawyer in a private practice yes and yeah. what was what was that like back in the day how, how like back in the day mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when uh, you're looking back in the 70s when it was very hard for women mm-hmm. to become lawyers yeah. and not only that to become but to be in a man's world there was a lot of um really sexist uh, practices going on mm-hmm. and it was really hard it was mm-hmm. difficult there were very few women that um were in my lecture group mm-hmm. of course it's fantastic now it's probably over 50 percent these days mm-hmm. but uh it was very difficult uh the men had certain attitudes towards the women and the women lawyers we just all just accepted it because back in the 70s that's the way it was you couldn't complain otherwise you get kicked out of the well, we never thought to complain mm-hmm. because uh, we knew it was hard, but that's the way it was. You kind of normalise a very abnormal situation when you're working and you want the job mm-hmm. and you want to succeed as a female lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, even though there was women's lib was rife then, the men poo-pooed it in the legal field. It was a hard industry mm-hmm. to be in for women. So how did you then, what, what was the cause for you to shift out of that into psychotherapy? Well, very interesting. I used to love the clients. I work 
really well with people, I feel. I was more interested in the clients than their, perhaps their legal problems and I did act for a lot of the families, um, did their wills, probates, went to their funerals when they had car accidents, but it was like a family practice. So I really enjoyed the interaction with people. And while I was a lawyer, I um, learned to become a marriage counsellor. It used to be called the Marriage Guidance Council back in the 70s. It's Relationships Australia now. And I studied that course while I was a lawyer and part-time I did um, family counselling and couples counselling during the period of being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and then, then that overtook the lawyer aspect? Well, no, not necessarily back then, but I decided this was burnout time. Um, it's really taxing being a lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. Then they brought in time costing and we had to be on a schedule, of course, and there was less devotion to clients, so I thought it's time I change careers. Prior to that, however, I was a volunteer counsellor for, uh, it was called Mission Australia then, mm-hmm. and I did that for 15 years at night when I was a lawyer. So mm-hmm. that said, no, I'm going to do this as a career. Mm-hmm. So I went back to uni while I was still a lawyer and retrained. Um, I got a degree. Mm-hmm. Then I went on and did a further degree in psychotherapy, mm-hmm. uh, which took a period of quite a few years in the meantime. But finally left law in 1997 with big sigh of relief. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah. And then... <laughs> Um, how long did you practice psychotherapy for up until? Uh, that was really almost 20 years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, you've got to realise I was in the workforce at a very young age. I left mm-hmm. school at 18 and went straight into law. So I'd been working with people for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I really enjoyed being a psychotherapist in my private practice. Mm-hmm. However, I learnt to meditate and then the lights went on. When did you learn to meditate? Gosh, um, about 10, 12 years ago. Uh-huh. And the lights went on well and truly. The way I was working with people, um, I realised I couldn't go further than what we call the heart chakra. Mm-hmm. That's when we leave the body and go into the different states of consciousness. And psychotherapy with some clients took years Mm -hmm. and I realised if I could get them to meditate this would be a dream run but no one was interested at that stage in learning to I was referring them they weren't really interested Mm -hmm. so I think so you're you're saying that you the psychotherapy would be easier if the meditation component was added to added to it absolutely Mm -hmm. you could go and become a little bit more holistic Mm -hmm. with it but that wasn't going to happen and also the way it was structured the psychotherapy uh, world was probably not really structured that way. Mm-hmm. So I thought, again, another light bulb moment, I'm going to wind down my practice and I'm going to become a Vedic meditation teacher mm-hmm. and see how I can incorporate other modalities mm-hmm. once I learn to become a teacher and get involved in mentoring yeah. other meditators. Mm-hmm. And that has probably been the most um, Oh, I think enlightened decision mm-hmm. I've ever made, and it has just worked out. Then it's come true how the work has just evolved mm-hmm. from that. And um, I went on and became a, a Reiki practitioner, mm-hmm. so I can involve energy work. And I also became a, a certified chakra therapist healer. Mm-hmm. So, and I studied the chakras very intensely, and I really worked out in parallel with psychotherapy and the theories 
the ages of and stages of development are very much in line mm-hmm. with the development of chakras. Mm-hmm. If a chakra is out of whack, uh, underactive or overactive, it's really going to affect someone not only physically but psychologically as well. Mm-hmm. So I incorporate all those modalities when I'm working with Vedic meditators mm-hmm. and the work goes really quickly and very smoothly because when you're a meditator you develop that witness to yourself mm-hmm. and I can help them look and grow the big self a lot quicker than probably and I like and vouch for than you found in your previous absolutely. experience absolutely it, it doesn't take years mm-hmm. because when we meditate very quickly we develop what we call the witness mm-hmm. to the self Whereas when you work solely with the psychotherapy or psychology, uh, it's a process for them to actually, a long process to develop a witness where they, ah, they tweak, that Mm. there's the unconscious that is in play in our everyday Mm behaviour. Whereas meditators, and particularly Vedic meditators, they get that concept pretty quickly and they're keen to really understand what their unconscious is doing in their everyday life Mm. and it's the fast track. And I believe in um, another concept is um, charm. In life, I've been very aware of something feels charming, not frivolous charm, but conscious charm. Mm. And it always revolved around my fellow human beings. Mm. To go and volunteer, it felt charming. Mm. What can I do as a volunteer counsellor? As a lawyer, it even felt charming at the time, but it turned out that... uh, I had to turn my hand to something else that was more charming, Mm -hmm. but what could I do to help my fellow man? Mm -hmm. Um, And when it turned not so much into helping them, but uh, big money earner for partners. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, I mean, it may have changed now, but it was not what I thought it would be over the years. And that was, again, it felt more charming to actually go and do something directly with people to change careers. And it was a big leap. And, but I think and I believe you've got to trust nature. Yeah. It can be scary to change, but mm. I took the leap and uh, it just all fell into place because it was the right evolutionary process for me. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be very aware of the charm and the desire. When mm. that comes up, really look at it. Don't be frightened of it mm. because that is nature evolving you mm. into the next stage and what you can do to be of service. Mm-hmm. And I've been very aware of that all my life, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah. So, um, what what about the the chakra? The what you've learned about that? Yes. Um, and how that relates to the development of a human? Okay. Yeah. You've got three hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got infinite time. But um... <laughs> no, well, basically. When we're born, mm-hmm. we're really growing the primary root chakra. Mm-hmm. And that really is the base, and it's, that's the most, well, one of the most important, because when people um, are feeling fear as adults, we can really track it down to non-safety, mm-hmm. track it down to a issue with the root chakra. So that, that root chakra is developing from zero yes. to yes. how long? Oh, 12 months, 18 months, okay. but it's developing. And even before the baby's born, mm-hmm. depending on what's going on in the womb, on the external of the womb with mum and dad, mm-hmm. um, then 
that child then learns how to attach. Mm -hmm. It can be insecure, frightened, but that is located around the adrenals. And what 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 what, what another second one, the sacral chakra, when does that start to develop? Um, oh, 18 months, two years, okay. and, and so it goes on. But mm. what we're actually doing through life with the developmental, we recycle. Okay. We visit them again mm-hmm. and again, and um, we can recycle them. Mm. But a lot of people I work with come to me with adrenal fatigue, mm-hmm. and I can usually track it down to the adrenals, the fear, anxiety that is produced in the base chakra, actually not feeling safe on the earth. That's all set in play before you were born and up to two years old. Yes, mm. and it's added to, I mean, you might have an experience at school that's not so good, mm. um, and then you're not feeling safe there, and it depends on the externals in your life, and mm-hmm. um, if you really follow the karmic journey and past lives it's something you could also have dragged into uh, from a you know dragged into this life Mm -hmm. from a past life because we choose our parents to Mm -hmm. work through our you know beautiful karmic journey yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yes it's very it's very interesting stuff and i I dare say we could elaborate on that for the next three hours but we better leave it there yeah we can leave it there because Mm -hmm. each chakra has its own story Mm -hmm. big story yeah yeah Cool. Okay, so um, if there's any, I guess, Vedic meditators or future Vedic meditators that want to have a session with you or find out more about what you do, how do they get in contact? Just go to my website, www.lesleyannbecker, and we'll just put in Leslie Ann Becker Vedic Meditation. My website's there um, with my phone number. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, uh, it has my email address. They can contact me. If they're Vedic meditators, we can set up a Skype session or if they live up near Byron or uh, Mullumbimby, Mm -hmm. they can come on for a personal healing or a mentoring session one-on-one. Beautiful. All right, thank you very much for um, this little chat. And thank you for inviting me to chat with you, Dan. (laughs) Lovely. No problems. Bye. Bye. For part two, yeah. because I have more questions. Okay. So, who taught you to meditate? Johnny. Johnny, your Johnny your Pollard, son. My son, Johnny Pollard. Okay. Yes. So that's interesting. Like, um, you were doing this the psych therapy at that time. Yeah, I was a psychotherapist at that time. Mm-hmm. Tried all sorts of different meditations throughout my life, and um, he then became a teacher. He discovered it pretty early, the uh, Vedic meditation, mm. and uh, we had a chat, and so. Said yes, I'll be one of your first pupils once you became a teacher. Yeah, and I was. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I guess I want to ask how that was different to the other meditations that you'd learn. Um, well, it's mantra based, and it's the way it's taught, mm-hmm. and you're given a lot of information during the course and how it unfolds. Whereas other meditations, look, there's uh, contemplative, there's focusing on a scene there's mindfulness which is great Mm. but this one is solid it clings people tend to stick with it because they can see results and because it's mantra based you have something to hang on to and it's the mantra that's doing a lot of the work for you Mm. uh, when you start to transcend and I just found a profound difference just from day one when I got my mantra and then taught how to use it Mm. and one of the lovely side effects of Vedic meditation, I found, is mindfulness. You don't actually go, have to go and do a course because it just naturally flows. It comes from um, the meditation itself, which is rather a lovely gift, really. Yeah. It. Yes. Yeah. 
So uh, the reason why I ask that is because you were older when you learned to, to do this kind of meditation. Yes. And I know there's people that will be listening to this in their 20s and 30s yes. trying to get their parents to meditate because they Absolutely. desperately need to relax and, and unwind. Absolutely. And um, I just because you would have grown up around the 60s time when the meditation and the hippie era was in full flight. Absolutely, yes. Did, did you feel like you had some preconceived notions about what meditation was before you learned this technique? Absolutely, but I um, had my children in the 70s and became very aware of uh, what was called a transcendental meditation, which mm. Vedic meditation is actually TM. Mm. Um, and uh, very much read about the Maharishi and was in touch with that. Didn't actually practice it, but had a profound interest, but started to learn different techniques of meditation back in the hippie era. Yeah. <laughs> I was a true hippie. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And loved the hippie era. And at some point you went away from that kind of like holistic lifestyle or no I was always a vegetarian and lived a holistic lifestyle but I was very aware that I had to be in the world and earn a living Mm -hmm. at that stage because I spent many years as a single mother and um, I when I left school I knew I had to really I just felt driven into going into a career yes to um, have a cash flow in Mm. life and as it turned out it was very useful yeah 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 so then sort of once you learn to meditate this way particularly because it obviously had a big impact on your life um what like you obviously say that the consistency of practicing was what helped you see the big changes it is consistency and actual devotion to this meditation Mm. and practicing it twice a day Mm. Uh, i've really missed in all the years i've been meditating and when we teach it we emphasize twice a day Mm. it's like compound interest you're building 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 and if you want to see the direct fast results Twice a day is the practice, mm. every day. Yeah. And so then what I'd like to finish with is what would you say to some, you know, some parents who may have uh, 20 or 30-year-olds that are showing them this to say, look, listen, why, why should you do this? Like, you what? should do it because my son taught me and um, <laughs> many years ago and I have taught an 82-year-old. Mm-hmm. I've taught people in their 70s. And the profound difference to their way of thinking as we go into later life mm-hmm. is profound. It is never too old to start doing Vedic meditation. Mm-hmm. And I've taught quite a few children, who, adult children, who have referred their parents and I've taught their parents over the years. And the difference it's made to the family union, to connection mm-hmm. and unity within that family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've taught whole families, um, starting with the younger children and then the husband comes on board then the wife and so it goes on yeah so uh, i really encourage older people to come and learn this technique mm. and the way i have evolved later in life is absolutely because of vedic meditation mm. beautiful yes all right so that's all the questions i have for now <laughs> until next time yes all right thanks, thank you, you. <laughs>